Hello, you're listening to Between You and Me, a chronological trawl through every major Marillion release from the Fish era to Steve Hogarth and maybe even beyond. I don't know what that means. I don't know if you can go beyond that implies there's going to be another lead singer in the future. I'm rambling. I'm Paul Rose. Some of you might know me as Mr. Biffo, a lifelong, diehard, hardcore Marillion fan. And every week I'm going to be joined by my dear wife, Sanya. Hello. Hello. It's like you're falling down a ravine. Hello. <laughs> it's like I'm so far away. Hello. 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 Yeah, my wife who's falling down a ravine every week for your listening pleasure. Now, Sanya grew up in Australia for her sins. And weirdly, you when I when I met you, you had absolutely no knowledge whatsoever of Meridian, did I, you? I had never heard of them. Even though they do have a few fans in the Yeah, country. they've got quite a few fans in Australia, don't they? Yeah. Well we have we were, well, I sat next to one on a bus once. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes, coming back from a Meridian weekend. Who was at the time trying to work out uh, an Australian tour for them because oh wow because of course they've never played any shows in Australia I think it's on their bucket list but obviously now in the age of COVID yeah won't be happening anytime soon I would love for them to have a Meridian weekend in Australia well, of course you would because you go home and see your family <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh we're not gonna be dealing with the H era for at least a few weeks yet that's right. Uh, because we're going right back to the beginning with the fish era, which I appreciate that many of you listening to this who might not be hugely familiar with Marillion and the rather glorious career they've gone on to have and frankly became a completely different band in the process. Most of you in the wider public would probably associate Marillion with fish. But again, Sanya didn't, which is why she's perfect for this project for want of a better word because you don't come with any of that baggage that the rest of us grew up with who were fans that they were all about capes and goblins and wizards and face warlocks paint. and face paint which some of that was kind of true but you get to kind of go backwards and see see where those accusations <laughs> came from for want of a better word um, so this week we're going to be starting with, because it was the first thing Marillion ever released, uh, was the, the single Market Square Heroes, which never appeared on a studio album apart from compilations. Marillion, for those of you who don't know, I can't imagine there's many of you listening to this who aren't already Marillion fans, but they were formed in Aylesbury in 1979. Uh, and Aylesbury famously has a Market Square. Oh. Yeah, you've been We've there. We've been there. Yeah, we have. When we went to see Marillion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When they played the, the new Aylesbury Friars Club, which the Friars Club is, is where they played a lot of their early gigs. Um, and lots of famous prog bands are associated with Aylesbury. Did you, oh, right. Did you know that? I, no, yeah. I didn't. There was an Wait, Aylesbury what's, scene. What is it about Aylesbury that has um, they just, a, well, attracted fr- prog bands? The Friars Club was one thing, but oh, I think right. just to happen to be a lot there, in the area, there was a Canterbury scene as well. Um, Canterbury scene? What's that? Well, a, a prog scene in, in the Oh, in Canterbury. Canterbury. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you could be? I don't know. I thought like people would dress up in a certain way or dress something. Dress up as Canterbury Cathedral. Dress up as Dukes of Canterbury. 
What's that? I don't know. Like the Dukes of Hazard, but set in but Canterbury. From Canterbury. That I would like to see. There's a show. There's a show. <laughs> what they'd be driving around in a Moe's Minor? Oh, no, they'd be driving on like horses. In driving on horses. Is this a, uh, listeners? If any of you live in Canterbury, could you please confirm for my wife that you do all in fact own horses? <laughs> no Who other canter form. About? Yeah. Can- oh, I see. Yeah, canter. See, there is a reason. Canterbury and yeah. eat berries. Yeah. We digress, dear yeah, listener. Yeah, big time. So, Market Square Heroes. Uh, yes. This wasn't my first Marillion song. Oh. I came to the band in 85, uh, as did a lot of people, because that's when they had their big hits, uh, which we'll get on to at a slightly later date, not too far in the future. Uh, Market Square Heroes, that I don't remember it's weird i i can kind of remember when i heard pretty much every marillion song for the first time but for some reason i can't remember when i first heard market square heroes i had the 12 inch because the 12 inch was was almost as long as a full studio album mm-hmm. um because it had a certain track on the b-side that we'll come to in a minute but Sanya, you have probably heard Market Square Heroes live on Monday. I've heard occasion. it, yeah, I've heard it several times live. And I've always really enjoyed it. I think it's a fantastic live song. But um, this was the first time I've ever listened to it through headphones and sort of just properly listened to it. It's a it's a proper pop rock song. It's, yeah. The thing that's proggiest about it, I think, are the keyboards, the... Oh, the weedling, yeah. The weedling. Is that what it's called? That's just. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Mark <laughs> Kelly from Marillion, Marillion's keyboardist, calls it widdly widdly. Oh, widdly widdly, yeah. Which I'm sure some people For have me, done a bit yeah, of widdly widdly in the market what it square. Sounds like. Mm. Um, this was not a big hit. They oh, built was it up. Not? No, they built up quite a live following by this point, which is how they got their deal with EMI. I'm looking at Wikipedia. If you'll excuse me here, I can't actually see. I think it got kind of the low sort of uh, 50s in the charts in the UK. That's um, still pretty good. Yeah. I mean, in the top 50. Well, no, yeah. Was that a top 50? But you got to bear in mind, back in those days in 82, when this, October 82, this was released. Right. Uh, back in those days, singles sold a lot more than they do now. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. You can have a number. Well, no, because they've changed it because of streaming but you can yeah a few years ago you could have a number up one single after selling like 2000 copies something like that which of course Marillion famously in uh, around their Marbles album did have a top 10 single for the first time in years they'd stopped releasing singles and then they put out You're Gone on multiple oh, wow. formats yeah that was an exciting day when the charts yeah the charts I bet were you celebrating out. that day yes <laughs> oh, we'll get to that when we'll we get that. to that song. Yeah, but that was um, a, a good time. Do so, you? Sorry, if I interrupt. Do you remember your first impression of hearing Market Square Heroes? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I still love it as a song. It yeah. works brilliantly as a late encore when you see them right, live. Yeah. At the time, I probably first heard this when I was like fourteen or fifteen. I just thought this is like so much better than all their other songs. Oh, really? <laughs> no, what did, so what no. did you start with? You started with... Misplaced Childhood. Misplaced Childhood. I have it, having, and again, we'll get to this, but having heard Kaylee on Terry Wogan's chat show. Right. Uh, like a lot of people did 
And was it straight away, oh my goodness, I love this. Well, I'm going to check out the rest of their stuff. Or? My first encounter with them, I went to school with a boy called, uh, apologies for this everyone, his name was Ian Grucock. And he lent me a copy of Real to Real, which was a live album that came out between Marillion's Fugazi and Misplaced Childhood. And he, he loved Marillion. He was always banging on about them. But it was that sort of thing that... You know when someone really likes that, it's like you've got to listen to this. You've got to listen to yeah. this. Yeah, um, it, it puts you off a bit. It puts you off a bit, and that's what happened. And I never listened to his copy of Real for Real. This is terrible. But I, um, I was being a bit, you know, Billy Big Bollocks, and I was showing off to my friend John, and I took Ian Grucock's copy of Real to Real, and I, I cut, cut it. <gasps> it was on tape. I cut. You the cut the tape. <laughs> so I'm not listening Ooh. to this rubbish. Um, Before you'd even listen to it? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. That's really naughty, what isn't it? What did John say? Hi, John. Well, John, laugh, John just used to laugh at anything I did anyway. Um, bless him. He's a good friend. He's a good friend. My oldest friend. But I immediately felt terrible because I had to give this, this yeah. copy of Real Surreal back. So. It wasn't, you did have yeah. some sort of conscience then. It wasn't like a bootleg tape copy. It was a, the actual album. Um, oh, so oh, I got Paul. some glue and I glued the tape. I spliced the tape back together and gave it back to him. And I don't know if he ever. He discovered. never mentioned it. No. So that was my first my first experience with Marillion. I think I did start to listen to Real to Real, and what it starts with is the the track Assassin, which basically starts with some sort of very Indian sounding music. And I didn't get beyond that because I thought, what what has he lent me? Oh, right. So you yeah. just listened to the intro and was... <laughs> well, yeah, off. I just thought it was some sort of, you know, Indian wow, restaurant how, music. how times have changed. Anyway, but it was that thing. Because he was always going on about, you've got to listen yeah. to this. I, as a 13, 14-year-old, just dug my heels in. I'm not listening to that. Especially right. not from anyone called Ian Grucock. Hi, Ian, <laughs> if you're listening. If he's a Marillion <laughs> fan, there is a small, <laughs> tiny chance that he might one day... Stumble across this. <laughs> Stumble Sorry for slicing up this. your copy of Real to Real. Oh, no. Anyway, I... Um, so, so yeah, so I eventually sort of discovered them on my own. Right. And went out the next day, having heard them on Wogan, to buy the new Marillion single. Which uh, was? Which was... Oh, Kaylee. Come on. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, you Kaylee, said that. Which again, you know, as as a lot of people sort of associate Marillion only with Fish, even though he left the band 32 years ago, Kaylee is still the song for a lot of people because it was a massive hit. There's no sort of getting away from it. You know, Misplaced Childhood was a number one album and all the rest of it. But for me, it felt like I had come across this band myself, even though I had, you know, perhaps right. a year before been given yeah. a tape of them. Uh, I didn't like the cover of the tape either. Oh. But um, <laughs> that, that's, that, well, we'll come on to the cover artwork in a bit. But <laughs> won't we, Sanya? The early Marillion cover art. Oh, my favourite. Yeah. When, when we met each other, I had, having long, not long been out of a, a, a failed marriage, I decided, oh, I'm going to be a bachelor now. And I had a friend, my friend Anthony, who's, I hope, listening to this. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Anthony, who I met at a Marillion gig. He, uh, when he split up with his wife, he kind of filled his house with kind of Marillion album covers on the walls. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I put up a picture of the script for a Just a Tear album cover. You print. did, yes. It wasn't even framed or anything. 
just, yeah, just put it on the back. To the wall <laughs> with like sticky tape or something. Blue tack, please. Oh, blue tack, okay. <laughs> anyway, and as I later found out, Sanya hated it. Yeah, I didn't say anything at first because you told me how this was your symbol of independence and you know, being true to yourself. So I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna say anything. Yeah, but they, anyway. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan. But for me what and it gets us back to Market Square Heroes. Mm. For me, a huge part of why I fell in love with Marillion was the cover art. Wow. You know wow. it was mysterious. Mark Wilkinson, mysterious. you know I thought was a genius. You had those you've got to also bear in mind at the time Marillion time that market square heroes came out they were quite proud to be prog right you know i remember i heard a bootleg of a live show years ago with fish and he said and i you know i I, i'm pretty sure he would probably deny ever saying this but in the bootleg he says to the audience in between songs we're not here to relive and celebrate an era we're here to re-establish it (laughs) and the audience yeah, so they're bringing back Prog because basically what oh, happened? What happened to Prog? Prog went away. When Wait, punk... when did Prog start? I thought Prog started in the seventies, and I'm showing my ignorance here. That's uh, okay. Probably late sixties. It kind of spun out of the sort of psychedelic, right? Kind of Floyd, uh, yeah, Procol Harum, and then it disappeared. And then punk came along. Oh, I see. And punk, you know, was was edgy and short songs people who didn't need to have a, a, a no level in classical music and you know grade seven on the piano and stuff yeah and so prog was seen as old-fashioned so bands like uh, emerson lake and palmer and pink floyd and genesis and and their ilk were suddenly out of fashion and oh, the kids right. were I all no into idea. punk right in truth, it never really went away. Those bands continued to release albums. Some of them would just slap a disco beat on it or whatever. But yeah. by 1982, Prog had sort of was very, very unfashionable. And Marillion, for whatever reason, decided, no, nah, we want to be a prog band. They were bringing it back. Yeah. So they formed in 1979. Oh, now I'm jumping about the timeline a little bit. And the only original member who's still in the band now is Steve Rothery. Oh, only Steve? Not only even... Steve. Wow, I thought um, Mark Kelly and... Steve Pete Rothery, were... the guitarist. The band right. was actually found by Mick, uh, founded by Mick Pointer, who was their original drummer. Right. Um, who played on Marcus Square Heroes in the first album, Script for Justice Tear. Ah, oh, so that's who I was listening to. Mick Pointer. Yeah. Yeah. So he was by the the point of Market Square Heroes, the lineup was was Mick Pointer on drums, mm-hmm. Peter Ravis on bass, Mark Kelly keyboard, Steve Rothery guitar, and Fish on vocals. They jettisoned various other members prior to oh. recording Market Square Heroes, such as Diz Minute, who was um, a bassist that Fish had brought down with him from Scotland when he applied to be the singer. So Market Square Hero, so a big a big part of it for me, why I love Marillion was the artwork. Because I'd never seen anything like it, but it was very much in that spirit of I'm sorry to say this, everyone who's a Marillion fan, but sort of Genesis, King Crimson. Certainly the Market Square Heroes cover pays a big debt to the, the first King Crimson album cover. Right. So that's what they were trying to evoke. I mean, personally, you know, whether you like the aesthetics or not, dear. I think Mark Wilkinson's cover for Market Square Heroes is 
far better than pretty much any prog album cover that had gone before it in terms of in terms of artistry. You could argue about hypnosis and and Pink Floyd album covers, but they're photography. Well, looking at it now, okay, that is one of the better ones. That is possibly the best one. The best one that, out of all the million album covers. No, 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 of the of that era of album cover. Yeah, it's it's okay. Do I love it? I don't love it. You wouldn't want that on the wall. Mm, probably not. So if if you don't know what we're talking about, it's it's a jester. Yes. Uh, who is sort of hiding his face. Part... Oh, hang on a minute. Yes. The, the image I was looking at was too small. I've just seen his face <laughs> behind the mask. I take it all back. <laughs> this is going to become a recurring theme. Is Sanya, <laughs> Sanya's dislike. Of, I take of it all back. Early Marillion I artwork. Really, I, you know, I want to be positive and say nice things, but I also want to be honest and... Yeah, I'm not in love with it. I'm not in love with that artwork. I'm sorry. Would you like I'm to really describe sorry. it for the listeners? It's, um, well, at first glance, all I could really see was a kind of like a theatrical mask. And I could see a jester's hat slightly faded behind it. But looking closer now, I see that angry, scary jester's face <laughs> <laughs> being revealed from behind the placid and serene theatrical mask um it's conceptual lots of bright colors that kind of contrast and clash with each other but what about that logo look at the logo yeah that's probably one of my the logo actually the logo is is quite cool i get why marillion i like the font when that when h took over they they kept the logo for the first album with steve hogarth right but they then dropped it for subsequent albums. They've had a different logo for every album. Oh, and it's okay. one of the things, though, that I really miss is that logo. That logo me, is iconic. I get that it looks a bit like a Genesis logo. Oh, um, does it? Does it? <laughs> on their early albums, I, I understand. Um, <laughs> we met someone this weekend who was trying to convince us that Marillion started off as a Genesis tribute act. And he was like fully, fully convinced yeah. and trying to convince us. What do you think of that? Well, it's it's not without some basis, in fact, but it's more to do with the B-side of the 12-inch oh, of Marcus see, which Square we'll Heroes, to. which we'll get to. Now, for me, I I get where it's come from, but when I first heard Marillion, I knew of Genesis as, you know, Invisible Touch, and, all right, okay, that was probably a bit later, but the Genesis I knew... So, yeah, the Phil Collins era certainly sounded nothing like Marillion as far as I, I, I was concerned. And certainly kind of, even now, kind of going back to something like Market Square Heroes, Genesis have never done a song like that. Right. You know, I get that the keyboards are kind of sort of evocative a bit of Tony Banks, but they've never done a song with that sort of hard edge. And the thing that Marillion did, Genesis really did do songs about airy fairy type stuff and a lot of prog bands did but Marillion always had an edge of social commentary yeah with what I did which is which brings me which on it, to yeah. what do you think Market Square Heroes is about well it, some sort of social commentary is in there for sure I haven't looked into this on purpose um you looked into it by accident no no I haven't <laughs> looked into the meaning of the song on purpose because I th- I thought it would be more interesting 
for you to tell me. It's clearly him trying to stir up a crowd him fighting being, for something. Him being the market square hero. He, the market square hero, yeah. It's it's a very engaging song, you know, whether that's with the beat and the keyboard. It just stirs you up. It gets your, your heartbeat moving faster. Uh, so I just Im- imagine that it's something like that, trying to stir up a crowd to come on. Let's all act together and act to do what though? I don't know. That's what that's what well, I'd, I'd like to find out. The working title for the song apparently was UB Two Million and One, which oh. if uh, which if you know UB Forty was yeah. named after a unemployment certificate. Oh. So um, the the character in it was inspired by someone that the band knew in Aylesbury when they were based there, a guy called. Brick, who Fish described as a brick. Wood brick. I, I imagine that wasn't his real his, name. His real name. Yeah. <laughs> brick meet fish. Fish meet brick. <laughs> Apparently, he was Fish described him as a would-be revolutionary, somebody with charisma and presence, but no goals, just frustration and anger at the government. Um, uh, so, is this song based on? So- Brick is he? Is he the market square hero? Yeah, or it's inspired by him. It's not literally about Brick. Inspired by Brick. Okay. When I saw Fish play Aylesbury Market Square in two thousand and seven, he played at a a free event called Hobble on the Cobbles. All right, Um, that's a good name. Yes, (laughs) because it's cobbled. Yeah. Uh, He and it it was the first on stage reunion between Fish and the members of Marillion that he used to be in the band with. They they reunited on stage to perform Market Square Heroes right. um, for the first time in God knows how many years. I don't know, 20 years, something like that. Uh, and he dedicated the song to, to Brick in that, that oh, instance. Oh, right. Yes, because wow. they used to hang out. And he pointed out the pub that they used to hang out in. Because you could see it was literally in the Market Square where they used to hang out. So that was quite special. I admit I got a little teary. Yeah, I can imagine. Market Square Heroes, apparently was written this is a direct quote from fish and i'm gonna do a shout out here to fraser marshall whose excellent meridian explanation of song elements website is where i got this quote from fish wrote the lyric was written in saint mary's graveyard in aylesbury on the come down from an acid trip and was completed as dawn came up and a ring of policemen moved in on my girlfriend and i who were acting suspiciously wow (laughs) imagine that though uh you're going out for a date yeah. You've been taken to a graveyard and your, so boy, your boyfriend just wants to write lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him. Uh, so a couple of other things to note about this single. There was a, a radio edit which replaced the line, I am your antichrist with I am your battle priest. Oh, your battle priest. Yeah. Yes. There you go. So you which see, line do you prefer? Oh, come on, antichrist. <laughs> Ow, I bit my tongue. Ow, <laughs> Oh no. no! You said you said the bad word. Oh dear. Now the whole single was produced by a guy called David Hitchcock. Yes. Who didn't go on to produce the album because he suffered a car crash and was replaced by somebody who we'll get on to, who was considered a little bit more modern than David Hitchcock, because David Hitchcock was perhaps most famously known. <laughs> For producing the Genesis album Foxtrot. Right. Which contained the track Supper's Ready, which was a 20-minute long epic. Oh, very prog. Yes. But we'll, again, 
get onto that in a minute after we talk on uh, talking after we talk on oh. you're talking to me i'm talking here i don't know what accent i did then you're talking to me it sounded like a parrot no that doesn't even sound like a parrot i don't what? know what that sounds you're like you're talking to, i'm talking here <laughs> <laughs> i'm talking to you are you talking back? Talk to me. He's turned into a chicken now. Yeah, he's a chicken. Talking. A mm. talking chicken. J.R.R. talking. Which ah. actually, that's a good segue because, of course, Marillion's name came from the Silmarillion. Ah. Uh, they were originally called Silmarillion, which was um, a Tolkien reference. Right. And that was one of the reasons why they'd often get lumped in with goblins and, and hobbits and the like. Another was, of course, Fish's tendency to wear face paint on stage and tell long rambling stories as his intros to songs, which was something that Peter Gabriel obviously did. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can go through the lyrics line by line if you want. Are you following me? Are you following me? Well, suffer my pretty warriors and follow me. See, I've heard this song a few times live and I've always really loved it. And it's just like, yes, it just gets you going. It's like... Everyone joins in, everyone's singing along and you can't help it because it's just, it, it's very engaging. Listening to it through headphones, again, loved it. It was just like the keyboard, the whittle whittle, the wheedling. I was I was fully getting into it. And then, then I looked at the lyrics and it was like, what? <laughs> like, like they're, so, <laughs> they're so over the top. And I got confused and it was like, it, it sounded when I was listening to like when I've heard the song it was it was it seemed like a very kind of plain the, you, what you see is what you get kind of song and then looking at the lyrics it was like oh I'm not really sure what he's talking about I mean I get he's trying to rile people up and get them involved in something but it was like what antichrist what suffer my fallen children my fallen child what <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, the, this is very, very like the the key the key line in there or yeah. the key passage for me is I got a golden handshake that nearly broke my arm. Right, I left the ranks of shuffling graveyard people. I got rust upon my hands from the padlock factory gates. Silent chimneys provide the silent oh, steeples. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, golden handshake is what you get when you're fired. Oh. Okay, left the ranks of shuffling graveyard people, commuters. I got rust upon my hands from the padlock factory gates. Let me in, let me back in. But then silent chimneys provide the silent steeples, right? The factory shut down. Right. You could say the steeple re represents a church, his pulpit, because he's saying to people, we can't stand for this. Okay. Ah, that makes more sense. Yeah, that definitely makes more sense. I mean, I have to say my favourite line in the whole song was, I found smog at the end of my rainbow. <laughs> yeah. that that was really again as a 14 yeah. year old fish for yeah. me was a genius yeah you know he was he, oh he's very poetic never more so than on market square heroes and the script for jester's tear album and he he got less wordy and less sort of sixth form as time went on over the course of one by misplaced childhood i mean his lyrics there are just really sort of personal and very much more direct than they are kind of here where he right. really he's trying to show off yeah right. that was always a sense i got but by the same token they're really great combinations of words yeah you know and he's got some great imagery in there declared the constitution of the walkway i realize it's time to plan the day what does i'm the warrior in the ultraviolet haze mean he's talking about the disco there because that 
he he uh, I go peace signs when I wage war in the disco. I'm yeah. the warrior in the ultraviolet haze. The ultraviolet haze, you know, smoke, dry ice in a disco. Right. As Fish sort of stated, the guy is someone who is all is all mouth really, ah. but actually has you know no conviction behind his. He's just full of anger. Yeah. But actually doesn't ever do anything about trying to rile people up. Got great ideas. Knows how to. He's going to save the world. Yeah. How he's going to fix society. But he's getting but drunk. Hasn't got that. He's practical. getting drunk and going to the disco. Right. You know, yeah, and he's yeah, yeah. Probably bending. You know, talking someone's ear off. Yeah. About everything that's wrong with the world. Right. And... Thinking about it like that. That's it's yeah. Because he was so wordy, I think people didn't even really listen properly to what he was saying. Yeah. Because it's quite flowery. Because he's clearly got a thesaurus by his side when he's <laughs> when he's writing these things. Sort of dismissed as sixth form poetry. But when um, you actually uh, look at what he's saying, look at the message. It's 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 um quite deep. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go too deep. It's still a pop song, ultimately. Market Square. Well, he's saying something, though. It's not just about, like, at first I was kind of like, what? But all of all of the stuff like that, like the, the wordiness, the cover, Fish's face paint, it, it all sort of acted against them. They certainly appeal to a kind of audience, but Fish had come out in, you know, a new romantic, suit and tie with the same message with but with a different message. presentation yeah i think you a think lot that they would have been more well i mean they well, were very successful the irony is they were successful yeah to a certain audience there were a lot of uh, these these neo prog bands that sort of started up in the early 80s like iq and pendragon and the like who are all sort of indebted to that earlier era but meridian were the only ones that really broke through right you came close i saw them supporting Mike and the Mechanics. I remember they sold our new single with Philip Schofield's Single of the Week in 1988 or whatever it was. But Marillion did have something, and you know, certainly you can't underplay the importance of Fish to that. I mean, he was very hungry for success, Fish. Mm. He was a very unique character, you know, six and a half foot tall. Hell of a he presence. He has a presence. He And even to this day, I'd still say he has... He has a hell of a, a, a stage presence, or yeah. just a presence anywhere he is. Even he's, even when he's doing he's his got, fish on Fridays in yeah, his dungarees, he's got he's got a charisma to him, and a, he's he's got a strong character. I remember the one and only time I ever properly met him was I had because uh, I'd interviewed him a few times, and I met him backstage after a, a solo gig. I mean, this is probably going back a long time now, and. He was sort of, you know, it was the classic Lords of the Backstage. You won't know that reference, but some people listening to this will get where it was his domain. And I remember right. he was walking around. He had like a sleeveless T-shirt on and carrying a bottle of red wine that he was swigging out of. Yeah, and that's so rock and roll. It was, oh yeah, that's <laughs> it was pure proper rock and, rock and roll. And it was like, I've got to talk to him. I've spoken to him on the phone. I've got to talk to him. And I remember one time it was like, oh God, he's coming over. And he leant over me and sort of, did a kind of hello and a smile and he leant over me. I just remember his arms being massive. Really? Like kind of, it's the weirdest thing. They were like the size of like my legs and I've got quite long legs. <laughs> Sorry. Unnecessary physical detail. I find that a slight exaggeration. But you know, yeah. Did you feel I'm like told. a bit nervous or? I was terrified because oh, he has what? got that presence. Yeah. So I got, I mean, I got really drunk and I barely remember talking to him. I know I did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the main thing I remember 
about it was actually he was really insecure about the gig. He hadn't felt it went well at first, mm. and that was a bit really. Uh, it was a great gig. Fish, Fish was absolutely, and I think the band even now, even uh, you know years after he's left the band, I think the band would admit that Fish was absolutely instrumental. To, them, to their success. To their success. But then on top of that, they got dismissed as a sort of Genesis copyist band. Mm. But the music, it still had a bit more of an edge to kind of early Genesis. Early Genesis was a little bit sort of pastoral at times, a little bit kind of neoclassical. And... Right. And so so you're saying it's the actual music had a bit of edge to it as well. Not yeah. Just, so it wasn't just Fisher's influence. I mean, something like, um, you know, we'll get into... Uh, script for just a tear on a subsequent podcast but something like forgotten sons or or he knows you know there's there's a hardness a sharpness to it which is mm. why marillion they were featured in kerrang back in the day heavy metal ma- magazine right kerrang covered bands like iron maiden and the like and you would see at gigs kids in denim jackets with iron maiden patches on next to marillion patches Right. Marillion were part of like that kind of heavy metal scene, even yeah. though they weren't a heavy metal band, because they had a proper rock star in the shape of Fish, and because their music was not simply copying kind of the the, the sort of classic era of prog with that sort of, even though it had elements of sort of more more atmospheric kind of chill stuff. For me, mm. they they had, you know, as well as that harder edge, they also had a real sense of pop and songwriting which is why yeah they've got this certain sections of their songs that have such a good pop beat like well maybe not a pop beat but they've got such a good beat that it does make you yeah well marcus again it's a pop song yeah it's great it's a pop song and it's a great live song as well for that reason it's inevitable they had a massive hit with with kaylee because they always were sort of threatening to do that sometimes they put some of their best pop songs on B-sides. Uh, oh, such as? Well, if we're talking the era we're talking here, I mean, I think yeah. Chart in the Single, I think is a great yeah. song, um, which is the B-side to He Knows You Know, which came off of Script for Just a Tear. But then you've got Cinderella Search. My God, it's such a good song and it never appeared on an album. I still think that. So do you think they hit. did that on purpose? I think they, they saw themselves, I think, more as an album band. Right. Which is why Miss Bashardwood was was a concept album. Kaylee wasn't written as a single. Lavender wasn't written as a single. Oh, um, they were part. They of were the, part of the story, the story of the album. And the theme. Yeah, Lavender right. famously, when it was released, was too short to release as a single. They had to they had to record a whole other section. <laughs> Fish had to write a new verse because it was too short to release a oh, single. Really? But it was the only other thing on there that was close to a, a potential hit. Mm. For me, they they've always had a really unique sound that yeah that kind of takes in prog takes in pop has that sort of heavier edge has a sort of more kind of art rock edge certainly is you know as they went on with with steve hogarth yeah they Mm. certainly embraced all of those things and kind of refined them in a way but they also had in these days with market square heroes and and script just a rawness about them that i think was really really appealing and I think they've got like a really good, and this is kind of like, okay, so if we're talking holographic universe, the sense I get of Fish is that he's a blend of, a quite an equal part blend of yin and yang. So he's got that yang, which is that 
edgy side of him. But then, and I still see this in him now, he's got such a sensitive side and that poetic side. And I think that shows really well in Market Square Heroes, the song, because listening to it at first, I just get the yang, the beat, the, the, the stirring everyone up, the energy of it. But then looking at the lyrics, you're like, oh, wow, they're quite complex and poetic. He's a poet. He's a minstrel. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. So I'm wondering if that kind of blend of that edge, that blend of yin and yang, so you've got the edge and the poetry, is what made them so unique. Did you know Fish released uh, two albums called Yin and Yang? Did he? <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a good cover as well. I add that, although you wouldn't like yeah. it. Yeah. Mark Wilkinson. But it was, a, it was a, a fish, two fish in the shape of the yeah. Yin and Yang symbol. What I've listened to through Market Square Heroes and these these first songs what did stand out to me a lot was that mix of the poetry with that edge that you were talking about. Yeah, it was anger and it was passion. Passion passion... mixed with sensitivity and poetry and social commentary as well. Sometimes it works and sometimes... Sometimes it they sometimes he overreaches. Quite, sometimes he overreaches. That's the best way yeah, to say it. Yeah, but you've got to bear in mind. But it, was, do, it is what makes it absolutely unique. He was a twenty-four-year-old. He was a young man. He was still figuring out who he was, as we all were yeah. at that age. But but they became successful because they had something, and yeah. Fish had something, and they had something unique, which was they weren't pure prog. I suppose they weren't pure more yin. They also had edge and that rock and roll oh, aspect yeah. to them. Fish was rock and roll and the yeah. wheels would eventually come off the apple cart. But but <laughs> we'll get onto that in a future episode. Yeah. But I think that's as good a way as uh, yeah. any to wrap up this I think first so. episode. Yeah. So thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for uh, listening. Please subscribe. We're going to try and put one of these out every week. In the next episode, we'll, we'll, we'll look at the B-sides of Market Square Heroes. So that's... Uh, Three Boats Down from the Candy, which you've got no real idea what that's about, do you? No, I was very confused. And, of course, we're going to be listening to the epic. The one... The one that's responsible for so much. The also get a load of this was our first dance at our wedding. <laughs> it was a 17 and a half minute long Frog Rock Epic, that's what we chose to And we to wouldn't have it any other way. So, we'll uh, hopefully see all of you. See? Speak, Hear. Speak. Speak. To. Shout at. Hope We'll hopefully be shouting at you same time next week. Um, and thanks for giving us a chance. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.